You're listening to Movie Astrology with Matt Hudson and John Burke. <laughs> Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to Movie Astrology. My name is Matt Hudson, and joining me as ever is my transatlantic movie brother, the statesman to my kingsman, John Burke from Burke Reviews. How are you, man? I am doing very well, Matt. How are you this day? Uh, I'm doing very, very well. It's been a few weeks since our last episode, and I am uh, digging being back in the astrology zone. But uh, how is Florida treating you well as we approach the, what's December almost? But actually, let's not break kayfab. It is December. This is live. Yes. Um, it's, the Christmas is almost upon us. How's Florida? It's not quite cold enough yet, but hopefully uh, we're going to get a cold front here soon to at least give us, you know, into the 50s, maybe even the 40s. Mm-hmm. But it's it's been like in the 70s, so you can't really complain. But, you know, I'd like it to feel more like winter. Yep, I can hear that, especially over here. It's cold and wet over here all the time anyway. So, uh, but no, movie astrology. For those who are new, uh, John and myself, we take one randomly generated year in film and we dive headfirst into it. We cover the biggest hits of the year. Uh, the awards season, movers and shakers, uh, births, deaths, debuts, and more as well. We end with possibly the greatest segment in any podcast ever podcasted. Uh, so, John, without any further, which year are we discussing this episode? We are getting into 1968, uh, a fun year to get into, I think. Uh, we'll certainly find out. But before we talk film, let's talk about what happened in the world in 1968. In history, British Prime Minister Harold Wilson endorses the I'm backing Britain campaign for working an additional half hour each day without pay. Wow, that sounds fun. Yeah, great. Uh, A Viet Cong officer named uh, Nguyen Van Lem is executed by Nguyen Ngoc Lone, a South Vietnamese police chief. Uh, The event is photographed by Eddie Adams and it makes headlines around the world, winning the 1969 Pulitzer Prize and sways U.S. public opinion against the war. Madison Square Garden in New York City opens at its current location. Uh, Net televises the very first episode of Mr. Rogers' <gasps> Neighborhood. Oh. Bagger Ridge Colliery closes, marking the end of over 300 years of coal mining in the black country of England. Yeah, American troops kill scores of civilians during the My Lai Massacre. The story becomes public in November 1969, and also helps undermine public support for the U.S. efforts in Vietnam. Martin Luther King Jr. delivers his I've Been to the Mountaintop speech in Memphis, Tennessee on April 3rd. On April 4th, he is shot dead at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. Riots erupt in major American cities, lasting for several days afterwards. Hmm. Uh, British racing driver Jim Clark is killed in a Formula 2 race at Hockenheim. English politician Enoch Powell makes his controversial Rivers of Blood speech. Hmm. Uh, the Beatles announced the creation of Apple Records in a New York press conference. Mattel's Hot Wheels toy cars are introduced. Nice, and one for John. Manchester United win the European Cup final, becoming the first English team to do so. Yes, in basketball. On June 5th, U.S. presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy is shot at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. He dies the next day. Led by activist and author Robin Morgan, 150 women and members of the New York Radical Women arrive in Atlantic City to protest against the Miss America pageant as exploitative of women. 
Hawaii Five-0 debuts on CBS and eventually becomes the longest-running crime show in television history until Law & Order overtakes it in 2003. Boeing introduces its largest passenger aircraft up to that time, the 747, at a public event at Payne Field near Everett, Washington. A student demonstration ends in bloodbath at La Plaza de las Tres Culturas in Tlachicoloco, Mexico City, Mexico. Ten days after, uh, before the inauguration of 1968 Summer Olympics, 300 to 400 are estimated to have been killed. A former U.S. First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy marries Greek shipping tycoon Aristotle Onassis on the Greek island of Scorpios. Led Zeppelin makes their first live performance at Surrey University in England. Wow. Republic, Republican candidate Richard Nixon defeats the Democrat candidate Vice President Hubert Humphrey. To become president. The December 3rd NBC television special Singer presents Elvis marks the comeback of Elvis Presley after the legendary musician had been away from singing. Well, uh, Japan's biggest heist, the never solved 300 million yen robbery occurs in Tokyo. Hmm. The manned U.S. spacecraft Apollo 8 enters orbit around the moon. Astronauts Frank Borman, Jim Lovell, and William A. Anders become the first humans to see the far side of the moon and planet Earth as a whole, as well as having traveled further away from Earth than any people in history. Atticus Ross, Guy Fieri, Mike Patton, Lisa Marie Presley, Mark Retchie, Lisa Loeb, Celine Dion, Timothy McVeigh, Tony Hawk, Carly Minogue, Bill Burr, Paolo Maldini, Anastasia, Tom York, and Kurt Angle are all oh. born this year. Albert Deckert, Helen Keller, Gerald Moore, Enid Blyton and John Steinbeck all passed away this year. Another year of contrasting fortunes, an awful lot of anti or turning points in the US uh, opinion on the Vietnam War happened here. Led Zeppelin with their first ever live performance. I've been to Surrey University, not as a student, but for a coffee. They have a nice coffee shop on site. So about 10 years ago, I went there. It was very nice. I will say that. And um, Hot Wheels comes out. Uh, Martin Luther King, Rob F. Kennedy, both assassinated. It's a it's a strange time in the world, man. It is. Um, you know, people are there's a lot of tension, a lot of people are stressed out about the war in, in Vietnam and uh, you know, it's the end of the the free love era, right, as we move into mm-hmm. the seventies. Yeah, you're right. And the year itself was defined by protests and other unrest that occurred worldwide. So not too dissimilar to the year we're recording this in, which is of course twenty twenty. So um yeah, we're only, what, 50-odd years removed almost. But uh, So another big year in the world. Again, some massive defining moments in world history. Uh, but let's talk some film now. Let's talk about what the biggest films of the year in 1968 were. Top 10. So here we're going to look at the top 10 movies of 1968 with based on the domestic gross box office. Um, domestic being the U.S., sorry if you're in another country. Um, and we're going to go through 10 to number 4 pretty quickly, just kind of rapid-fire them off, and we'll slow down quite a bit to look at the top 3 of 1968. Um, Matt, you want to start us off? Let's do it. So number 10 in 1968 was Night of the Living Dead, which brought in $30 million. And then number 9, Planet of the Apes, which brought in $32,589,000 bucks number eight rosemary's baby 33 million three hundred ninety five thousand oliver sorry sorry um <laughs> you've like... never got that high before 
the exclamation point just brought it out of me. 37 million uh, in the box office for the musical version of the classic story. I can't even get my voice that high, and I've got a very uh, squeaky voice. Um, number six was Romeo and Juliet, which brought in thirty-eight million uh, nine hundred thousand. Bullet brings in forty-two million dollars in the uh, domestic box office. The Odd Couple. The oh. Odd Couple was at number four, and that brought in forty-four point five two seven million dollars i feel like jack jack lemon would be very unhappy with the way you just said the odd couple i'm just saying like jack lemon would be extremely unhappy the, yeah. with, with most of the things i think i do in <laughs> life but um so they uh going in from like number 10 to number eight there's only three million and then between seven and four there's what there's six million so 10 to four is a very very uh close run thing and what we do like john said we'll just have a we'll go through the films quickly if we've seen them give our thoughts on them but what I wanted to say up top is Night of the Living Dead, Planet of the Apes, Rosemary's Baby, 1098. Have we ever on astrology had three films in a row which have such bonkers endings? Oh, interesting. Uh, interesting point. Um, I don't I don't think so. I mean, even let's but though just the, looking at 10 through four, mm-hmm. this is a pretty stacked year just without him getting into the top three. Like these are some big movies here. Um, I mean, the the three you just mentioned, not only do they have the crazy endings, but what, if you go through film school, they're all mentioned, they're all brought yes. up. Um, they've been studied for a multitude of reasons. I would say of the three, maybe Planet of the Apes is the most fringe on that level. Um, mm-hmm. But it's definitely, you know, it's it's well regarded, even though it, it is more of a sci-fi, but it obviously has a huge following. Um, has been attempted to be remade twice uh, in two different iterations, one much, much better than the others. Um, yes. You know, tons of cultural parody. It, it's huge. Night of the Living Dead. I, I, one thing I want to point out, we were talking about the uh, difference in the gross, but let's look at the difference in the budget of all the movies that we just listed. Jesus. There are two that have under a million dollar budget, um, which Romeo and Juliet has 850000 but Night of the Living Dead, 114000 and it made $30 million. I'm like, that's a turnaround. Because um, that movie, it it changes the zombie film. It basically builds a genre. Um and a creature type like zombies had mm-hmm. been in movies before, but not in the way that these zombies move and the, how they're presented. And that will be kind of the, uh, the building block for all zombie movies. And of course the current phenomena we find ourselves in the walking dead, which heavily pulls from Romero's uh, style. So, I mean, these movies are huge and influential. Um, I, and obviously I, I don't want to get, we don't, we don't shy away from spoilers necessarily on this show, but um, night of living dead has a powerhouse of an ending. Um, that has tons of social commentary, especially what we just talked about from what was happening around in the culture at the time. The civil rights movement is in full gear. Uh, the same year that Night of the Living Dead comes out, Martin Luther King is assassinated. Uh, Malcolm X uh, had been assassinated. Um, I hope I'm not getting my dates wrong. And, you know, it's just, it, it's the end of the movie definitely stings as a cultural mm-hmm. commentary. And it, it's one of the things that makes the, the movie kind of transcend the genre that it is as well. So, yeah, just, man, it's it laid down a lot of the conventions that we know of of zombie films or or the undead movies. Um, 97% Rotten Tomatoes, Planet of the Apes, 86, Rosemary's Baby, 96. You'll find that only one film in the top 10 uh, has got anything less than 80% an RT. In terms of stacked, critically, it is stacked. Whether, again, whether or not we go through and like all the films, critically, these 10 films are potentially the, the most critically lauded films we've ever done in a list on movie astrology but 
Planet of the Apes, obviously we all know the endings. You maniac, you maniac. Rosemary's Baby. Well, I mean, well, I think yeah. that film is is excellent. Again, separate the art and all that, but yeah. it's just a slow burning horror from hell. <laughs> obviously, like the wonderful performance of Mia Farrow is the glue that holds everything else together. But there's just something that they did in this film. When I watched it first, I was much younger and it didn't quite click because this would have been what I would have been what 15, maybe. So mm. quite a while ago now, I'm obviously used to a different type of horror. So it didn't quite click, but then rewatching it again years ago and then rewatching it for this episode. I was like, do you know what? This is bloody great. I mean, yes, it's, it's horrific. The mm-hmm. decline of, well, the main character and like the utter sort of just horror that envelops the entire film. But then when we get to the end, it's just done so well. It's done really, really well. Um, so I'm glad to see that well, two horror films are in the top 10, but that they've got such big money from small budgets and the critics love them as well. So Rosemary's Baby, for me, is the one I go back to the most. But I do like Planet of the Apes. I really... Um, I really like that. It's a decent movie. It's far better than the sequels, and it's probably the best until we get to uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes from Matt Reeves. Yeah. It's just sci-fi of a sociological edge, and Charlton Heston and Linda Harrison are great, and again, that ending. So it's not a bad sort of one, two, three punch to start off. No way. I, I like all these movies. Um, I've only seen Rosemary's Baby once, but it was recent. It was in the last couple of years I did mm-hmm. it. Uh, it was part of the Burke Reviews push to get out of my... Um, the, uh, get movies off the gap list you know big movies that people always talk about and uh that was a huge horror film that i had not seen and yeah it, it's a tough watch mind you but yeah uh definitely a, a great movie and obviously the like you said the art the artist and planet of the apes is one of those movies and actually that original franchise just throw them on in the background they're just fun there there's nothing i mean they're they're contemplated because it's sci-fi but like they're they're watchable easily digestible films you just have them in the background and they're entertaining and i i like the uh the, the costume design is is very yes cool. yeah that's so. a good show actually especially again a fairly sizable budget for the time 5.8 mil but the costume design here it, it looks good it doesn't look schlocky and it, it, it obviously now we've have the ones in rise uh, sorry the matt reeves trilogy or the rise andy circus trilogy are augmented but and they look obviously stunning but to better create that level of realism in the late 60s with, I think there was some troubles behind the set as well in terms of actually getting the costume design done. So to better pull it off is was a hell of a job, man. And um, mm-hmm. I wanted to find out your thoughts on our number seven film, which is Oliver, which has always seemed to me like a very quintessential British film. It's very, very, very English, very British. But I wanted to know what a, a Florida legend thought of this one, because I know you watched it recently. I did, yeah. And I'm still not sure if I had seen it as a kid or not. Um, I recognized a lot of the songs from like other things, uh, I assume at least. And um, I I enjoyed the first half a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's a lot more fun the first half. The second half, I think, kind of lulls for a bit, and it gets real, real drama and, and a little, little serious, uh, much more serious than I feel like the first half has i mean obviously it's always a serious topic but the the one thing that i was really pushed to is i have kind of a guilty pleasure movie of august rush um that movie really clicks for me because of the music side of it robin williams is in it um mm-hmm. i i like the kid whose name isn't going to come to me but he's in like charlie and chocolate factory and, um he you know he's he's on a doctor show now i think uh the good doctor i think um but mm-hmm. uh i had never thought about 
August Rush as an Oliver Twist story, but it's a hundred percent an Oliver Twist story. Mm-hmm. It has a lot uh, aligned with Oliver in general. There's a lot of parallels with like Robin Williams' character being the kind of villain who you know acts like he's helping these kids, but really he's manipulating the kids, that kind of thing. So I was kind of drawn to it for that reason too. Um, I like when I'm when I make those kind of parallels uh, between modern stories that I was familiar with and older stories that maybe I thought I knew, but maybe hadn't really looked at it in that way. Like I've, I think everyone knows the Oliver Twist story. I think, you know, can I have some more, sir? Has always been Please, sir. Um, quoted everywhere. So uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it for the most part. Um, again, I, it, it is a little long because it is like a full on musical, but, yeah. um, but not, not bad in any way. Yes, it's it's uh, it's good fun for the most part. Everyone's probably heard the song "Food, Glorious Food." Consider yourself. Uh, you've got to pick a pocket or two, and that there. Pick a pocket or two, yeah. That's it. They're like drama school staples as well. But yeah, Ollie Reed as Bill Sykes was was wonderful. Mark Lester, who plays Oliver Twist, has grown up to be a bit of an oddball, but mm. can't really. For, uh, f- I think he was Mark Michael Jackson's sperm donor, and I and I mean that like seriously as well. Oh. Um, and apparently Mark Michael Jackson wanted to marry his 12-year-old daughter, according to him, but odd enough. But wow. um, yeah, again, alleged, don't sue me. But I didn't mind this film. I thought it was I thought it was okay, again, re-watching it. I, it was fun. I watched it as a kid, obviously, uh, and en- enjoyed it. We had to do some of it in like drama classes when we were at uh, secondary school or high school for you guys. Uh, it was it was fine. I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, did you see uh, Romeo and Juliet at all? Um, when I was in high school, uh, this was this film has some controversy, uh, controversy, controversy b- tied to it because uh, Juliet is naked in in a scene, and she is a minor in the in mm-hmm. the actress um, who I'm assuming is Olivia Hussey or Hussey. Yep, possibly. Um, and but uh, we watched it in English. Um, I've seen other versions of Romeo and Juliet many many times. I've seen the Baz Luhrmann version. I can't even tell you. Yeah. Um, I've taught uh, the play uh, as a ninth grade English teacher uh, for several years. Um, so I'm very, very familiar with the story, but I've not gone back to rewatch it. Um, I, I tried, I think when I was teaching it and I was like, nope, not gonna, can't, um, uh, but, or maybe I did rewatch it. You know, I'm not sure now. I, I definitely wasn't, it's not as engaging as the, uh, Baz Luhrmann chaos. Um, so it, it, you know, it's, but it's, it's well acted. It's very Shakespearean. It's fine. Yeah. It's, it's the Montagues and Capulets fighting, isn't it? It's, it's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, this was fine. It's good, well paced. Humor is decent. Sword fighting as well, and mm-hmm. it's funny because Hussey and Whiting are still like BFFs now. So oh. their chemistry on screen again, looking past some slight issues there, but they're yeah. best buddies now still. So obviously they had a they built something on that film which has lasted. How however much farther we are into the into the future now, so. Uh, that's an interesting story to come from that, but yeah, I did. Uh, this film is it is what it is. It's fine. The Baz Luhrmann one is great, but this is fine. And yeah. um, Bullet, you watched this a while ago. I watched this uh, recently. Uh, I think I have an understanding of what you think about this film, but yeah. Bullet, I was. It's a classic film, or it's held up as an mm-hmm. iconic film. And the car, the car chase is great. The car chase is wonderful. That Mustang has got fury in its engines. But I got a bit bored during it. Me you know too. I mean? And it sounds it sounds like you did as well. The, the yeah. car chase elevates this. Steve McQueen is cool. He's he's good in it. And, you know, it deals with a lot of what was happening, which you mentioned in the late 60s. So uh, the, the, the changing political landscape, the the war, uh, or the authoritarian and morality issues. There's a lot being questioned. But it just 
didn't hook me in like I thought, because this is a first time watch for me. And I expected it to really sort of grab me by the throat. But yeah, I just it was okay. But I was a bit bored, man. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Um, I was surprised because, and also, big thing we have to talk about. I went into that movie assuming the car's name was Bullet. <laughs> yeah, actually, it wasn't. No, it's his name. All, all I knew about the movie was the car chase, and that's kind of what I was expecting it to be—a bigger action movie and less of a crime mm-hmm. movie. And I just, I didn't find the crime story to be that compelling. Um, it also, at times, I thought it was a little confusing. It was just like a bunch of, you know like faceless looking white men. And I'm like, I can't keep track of all these people. Like they're all, they all look the same to me. Um, and it just like, none of them had like a real dominant character that I was like, Ooh, this guy I latch onto. And good point. Um, it was just nothing. And like, I, I'm, I'm a fan of crime movies and I'm a fan of uh, action films a lot of times, but this one just was like, uh, and maybe it's the hype or the, the time, you know, obviously action movies now are much more fast paced and, mm-hmm. and like the, the explosions and the, the car chases don't stop where this movie, it's like building to that one scene. And I'm like, yeah, but I've seen French connection and I like that chase mm-hmm. a little more, to be honest. Um, you know, which would come a few years later uh, in terms of, you know, scale, but I don't know. There was just something about this one that I'm like, yeah, it's fine. It's it, but overall, yeah. Bored. Yeah, I mean, the, the world seems to love this film. Like I mentioned, as as is every other film on this list. Bullet, 97% RT, 80 Metacritic. And again, that it, it's all subjective. We did both didn't dislike the film. Just didn't hit us like we thought we would. And another film, which is a massive critical hit, uh, was our number four, The Odd Couple. What did you think of that one, man? Ah, man, I, I love it. Obviously, it's, got a, it's a little problematic um, <laughs> because times change. Uh, but... Um, I, I love Walter Matthau, Matthau, sorry, uh, mm-hmm. added an L, and Jack Lemmon uh, in general. I, you know, when we were, well, I'm a few years older than you, but when we were kids, uh, a Grumpy Old Men came out, which was basically like, what if Odd Couple but old? And uh, it's the same actors for those not initiated in the Grumpy or Old Men uh, universe. But um, I, I feel like I tried to watch it when I was younger, The Odd Couple, and I didn't really remember it, but I had a blast watching it. Um, Jack Lemmon's just, I actually really liked him a lot in Odd Couple. Mm-hmm. I think I connect with his character a little more, even though he is also very, like, you can see why both of them are wrong. You know what I mean? Like, you're not, like, really yeah. picking sides as much as just enjoying the chaos. And, like, they could come to a better understanding. Um, but, yeah, then there's there's a little bit of problem with, like, the treatment of women and some of the, uh, the uh, implied um, homosexuality jokes that, like, mm-hmm. are there. But I actually feel like they handle it better than some modern movies have handled it um, i have that down as well that i think there's no there's no like weirdness about it and it isn't like, it isn't kind of it isn't something which i found to be troublesome i think you know like, so i think they handled it quite well yeah i mean it might be that in 68 they weren't thinking about it as like a whole lifestyle um which would then like because i think that's in the 80s and the 90s you have the backlash because of the aids virus and people just be like you know, homosexuals are, are demonized at that time where that hadn't happened in the sixties. So like, it's more ha ha versus like demolishing. Like it would be in the nineties, you know, cause you remake that couple in the nineties, those gay jokes are vicious and cruel versus like just up implied like, Oh, he's wearing an apron. Ha ha ha. You know, it's not it, in the nineties, it would have been harsh. So uh, it was in that way. It was refreshing. Um, cause I kind of went in like, I don't know how, if this movie will hold up, uh, just given it's two bachelors living together like it there's room for tons of things to go like way off uh because even the treatment of the women um the, the two british 
uh, females yeah, from dates, upstairs. Yeah. They they have a, a you know there's a sense of um agency about them that I think mm-hmm. is not not a lot, but they they do have their own kind of agenda too. You know they're not like they're not fully being manipulated by him. Like they're kind of in on like no, they're like no no we know why we're here. Like so there's that like empowerment element that is built into it. So, yeah, actually uh, good fun and overall kind of a, a progressive kind of take on on the world. Yeah, I agree. I found there's a lot of good laughs in here. It was inoffensive enough. Like you said, a lot of these films we deal with uh, from way back when uh, we look back, we can look back on now and think, but uh, again, it's a sign of the times. But yeah, this one, I think, like I said, handled it pretty well. It looked a bit vanilla mine, but I I just like the fact that Felix and Oscar, who are the two characters, they 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 are like the married couple themselves. Obviously, they're railing Mm -hmm. against divorce, but they might as well be a married couple who... Yeah. Uh, Bicker and Arku together, and I, I think that's handled really well. And it, I think it pretty much holds up. If if you just want a a film to have a bit of a giggle at, uh, an, an old timey film, then I think the old couple is is a pretty decent shout. And what what it does for me too is it's sad because um, in modern movies you're not going to see a, a straight comedy be number four in the box office. You know, what I mean, like with no mm. explosions, no big set pieces, just a two guys in an apartment having, you know, trouble getting along and it's number four for the year. Like we don't get those kind of comedies anymore. And that makes me sad. Yeah. You're right. 97% are to 86 Metacritic for this film. So 10 to 10 to four man was wild from, from 10 to four, uh, only two films uh, are in the 80% on RT uh, and only one or two are in the seventies for meta. So it's a hell of a 10 to four in terms of strength, uh, critically, so let's get into the the Top podium three. positions. In three, two, one, uh, JB, kick us off with number three. And our number three is the lowest RT on this whole list. Uh, the Love Bug from Walt Disney Pictures, directed by Robert Stevenson, starring Dean Jones, Michelle Lee, David Tomlinson, Buddy Hackett. Uh, five a million dollar budget with a fifty one million dollar domestic gross, seventy six RT, the lowest RT as I mentioned. And a the lowest oh wow a really low Metacritic with forty eight but to be fair to it it's a family movie so it's not trying to impress the critics it's trying to keep the children quiet for an hour and a half as uh, Herbie the Love Bug is introduced to the world for the first time um, I I had never seen this uh, until right you know prepping for this episode and um, I was very familiar with the idea of it uh, you know they had remakes I've actually I've never seen the remakes or anything so the, I was yeah never really interested in it um to watch it i it's it's fine there's definitely some problematic moments um a few characters do some uh asian accents that are definitely culturally insensitive um but yeah um it's you know it's it's there it's a it's a classic piece of cinema i guess it's, a, it's on Disney Plus as well, which made it very easy to track down. So thank right. you, Disney and our, our mouse-eared overlords. Yeah, this is it's enjoyable, if not outdated, shall we say. Um, so some of the quotes, so we got Dean Jones plays Jim Douglas as a racer. He's like, he says, without a real car, I'm only half a man. Uh, so Vin Diesel obviously took that and ran with it for the Fast and Furious. There's some nice shots in this. There's a nice shot of Herbie uh, zigzagging, his, zigzagging his way down a, a road in... Hollywood um uh, and David Thorn uh, Tomlinson sorry is like uh, absolutely hamming it up as Peter Thorndike he was uh, David Tomlinson was in uh, Mary Poppins I believe uh, he absolutely hams it up as like the kind of villainous 
uh, rival driver, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Again, it's it's like those issues you mentioned aside. It, as a film, it's for it, it would be fun to watch with the family because it's largely inoffensive. Other than like you say, watching it today, you think, "Oh Jesus, that's no, oh no, cover your ears." But um, it's also got one of the greatest quotes I've heard this year from a film. And um, <laughs> context or not, somebody says he's gone for that last big lube job up yonder. And I thought, oh man, what the hell are you on about there? Cause I, <laughs> I had my head down at the time, just quickly writing something down, and I was like. What is, am I watching the wrong love bug? Is this like, have <laughs> I gone to like Triple X or something? But yeah, he's gone for that last big loop drop up yonder, whatever that wow. means. But it was fun. I mean, it's you know what's going to happen. It's it's the very much the verse, chorus, verse. It all starts well, then you've got the bit in the middle where oh, everything's going wrong. And then at the end, you know, you probably guess what happens. But it's yeah. fine, isn't it? It's good fun for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Not bad at all. Uh, well, number two uh, is a film which I was—I I hadn't, I hadn't seen this film either. I hadn't seen The Love Bug. I hadn't seen this film, and I was quite looking forward to watching it. Number two was Funny Girl, uh, distributed by Columbia, directed by William Wyler, and it starred Barbara Streisand, Omar Sharif, and Kay Medford. Made for fourteen point one million dollars, uh, and it brought in fifty-eight point five million. RT ninety-three percent and a Metacritic eighty-nine percent. Um, so it's a musical, it's a big old musical based on the musical itself called Funny Girl and Barbara Streisand plays um, uh, a Jewish uh, actress, a wannabe actress who sees herself as like the ugly duckling uh, and all she wants to do is, you know, make a name for herself. She wants to get famous, she wants to get out where she lives and wants to. she wants to make it. Uh, she meets a guy called Nick who's a gambler, irresponsible, his name Omar Sharif plays him mm-hmm. and... She eventually makes. She eventually gets uh, a call and, you know, starts to get somewhere. But and the rest is, you know, what you'd expect. It's fit for me. Again, this is a get very much a verse chorus verse type film in how it kind of tells a story. You can kind of guess where it might go. There's some nice moments along the way which kind of uh, diverted my expectations. I wouldn't quite expect it. And I like the commentary in this film as well. How Omar Sharif plays his character because it's he, his story doesn't go the way he thinks it's going to go or the way I thought it was going to go. And I like that take in it. I thought that was, I thought that was a good take. Uh, the musical numbers are fine. And, uh, you know, they're, they're not as big and explosive as I thought they would be. But I think that maybe actually works for the film's benefit for me because I'm not the biggest. I like a good musical, but I'm not the biggest musical fan. So if I can get a understated musical number, I, I'm all in for that. But I enjoyed this film. I didn't love it. But I did enjoy it. I did think Barbara Streisand was very good. I thought Omar Sharif as well was very good. I thought the two of them were great together. And yeah, I, I thought it was a really decent film. I I think I went and expected it to be incredible. And then instead mm. I settled with, you know what, this is pretty good actually. I quite like this. But what did you think of Funny Girl? Um, I also hadn't seen it before, but I uh, I had I recognized a lot of the songs like Oliver. I was surprised at mm-hmm. uh, a lot. I think Glee covered several of them um, in the, the run of Glee uh shamefully admitting i watched glee um <laughs> and uh barbara streisand is fantastic in the movie i really really like her um i'd seen omar sharif in lawrence of arabia um and i think that might have been it there might be one more movie i saw him in but um i think he's really good too it is slightly predictable and actually it follows very much the star is born formula yeah um, good show. which she would then do it. I have not seen her version. Her version is the only, well, I haven't seen the original star is born. 
from like the thirties and I've not seen her version of the stars born from the seventies. Mm-hmm. But um, from what I've read, this is a preferred version of that story. It doesn't end quite as tragically as um, it does in stars born, but it still ends, you know, on a down note for the most part. But mm-hmm. um, there is a sequel to this though. That's worth mentioning. Um, Funny lady uh, that she is, it's her character and her trying to make her marriage work despite the end of this movie. Um, I've, it's not well regarded though. Um, so, you know, they tried and didn't succeed, but, um, yeah, musical sequels don't often succeed. I would say, uh, mm-hmm. more often than not, but funny girl, I think it's definitely worth watching. Um, I also, I wouldn't say I loved it though, but I, I liked m- some big parts of it. And I really, uh, Streisand really, uh, really amazed me in this. Cause I, I'm more familiar with her like nineties and early two thousand stuff, like with, uh, meet the Fockers and, <sighs> Yeah, and um, Guilt Trip with Seth Rogen, which is not great either. Um, so seeing this was a, a kind of an eye-opening thing for me to kind of really see uh, her at her, her peak, I would imagine. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, yeah, I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, uh, so that was that was a decent film. This They follow up, not quite so much, but... Uh, so that's our 10 to 2. This is it now, JB. What was the number one film at the box office around the world, UK, US, in 1968? Such a iconic piece of cinema. 2001, A Space Odyssey, distributed by MGM, directed by the uh, one of the most influential directors of all time, Stanley Kubrick, stars Keir Duella, I'm probably saying that horribly wrong, Gary Lockwood, William Sylvester, Daniel Richter, Leonard Rossiter, Margaret Zack. Um, 100 and... Uh, 10, sorry, 10, not 100, $10 million budget, which is crazy because uh, Oliver almost tops this movie, um, and Funny Girl does, uh, which just goes to show you why musicals don't get made too often because they are not cheap. Um, 68 million, almost 69 million domestic gross, 92 Rotten Tomato, 84, which is a little low for Metacritic, but whatever. Um, it's not it's not a movie for everybody by any means. Uh, it is a challenging film in a lot of ways, but a masterpiece in so many others. Um big controversial ending i would say a lot of people don't know what to make of the uh the moon baby um (laughs) but uh, um i i got to see this uh last year at a uh, retro screening on imax when they did the imax release and the two two uh guys i was with um had to cover their ears for part of it i think they left if i remember correctly i think they couldn't take the audio in the the uh, venue either it was up too loud or it was done so intentionally because the sound is intense in this movie the sound design is incredible i mean it, it's i remember my grandfather trying to show me this movie when i was a kid and i i was so bored right yeah. like it was it's so slow it's and i didn't understand kid, right and i didn't understand like the transition from the bone being tossed into like space I'm like what is that like as, as like a six or seven year old it was trash and then now as a person who's really put a lot of time into studying film and, and watching movies in a, in a much more uh engaging way that viewing in the IMAX theater was just like mind blowing for me. And I'm really glad I got to experience it on that big of a screen, especially if I never get to go back to the theater. Um, that's a movie I'm glad I got to see on the large scale. Uh, it's such a classic. And I, I've, I've seen most of Kubrick's filmography. I'm still missing a couple. I don't know if I can ever sit through Barry Lyndon. Um, that just, that style of movie mm-hmm. does not appeal to me and it's long. Um, but uh, it's Kubrick, so I will probably do it. I mean, I've, I saw his last film. I saw AI, which is the the written by Kubrick, supposed to be directed by him kind of thing that uh, Spielberg took over. Um, it's Spielberg doing Kubrick. And uh, 
you know, I, I'm a fan for sure. Again, hot take. Uh, I'm so good at these hot takes, <laughs> liking directors that everybody says are great. But you're um, burning my ears, John. I do. Uh, I do. You know, love this film. So this film's a strange one for me. It's a classic, classic film, but it's a strange one because it's it looks so good. It looks so good. It sounds so good, but bloody hell, is it boring? Oh, see, I don't. I did not find it boring in the theater, but I totally get why one might find it boring. It, I think. <clears throat> I think that might be it, though. If I if I watched this in IMAX, I think I would have been so engrossed in just the spectacle that I would have just let it wash over me. But I think I've seen this a few times at home now, and like John, I'd always try to give a film my attention, but you know, sometimes it can waver. So mm-hmm. at home, it, it is a different experience, which is the whole home versus theater yes. argument. But I didn't dislike. No, I don't dislike the film. But there's, I mean, there's no dialogue for like the first twenty five, thirty minutes, which is which is a <clears throat> a challenge at first for uh, modern audiences. There's not actually that much dialogue at all. In fact, no. it's the wonderful music uh, that get, that really helps, like the grandiose score that really, really helps with this. And again, the fact that it looks so damn good, but there is a lot of patience required. Kubrick kind of makes you feel like you're there up there with them and the old how nine hound, but it is, it's a challenge. It's undoubtedly a challenge, undeniably a challenge. And uh, I'd love to know, uh, have you taught this? This is what the, the point I make. I was going to say, well, I'd love to know what <sighs> the younger audiences who know what star Wars is and like the newer star treks and uh, gravity and interstellar and all that. Have you taught this in your class? I have not. I actually was going to this year. Um, and when deciding, I, I, you know, Big Tuna, who we reference on the, on our podcast frequently, uh, is a former student, and he's still a film student at um, at film school right now in college. And I asked him, uh, should I show Invasion of the Body Snatchers from the fifties or um, two thousand one? And he immediately he's like, two thousand one is no question the better movie, but it's it's not going to keep the audience. And mm-hmm. uh, I, th- I definitely made the right call because I was showing uh, my first year film kids, which are it's always a uh, no, that's wrong. It was not my first year. It was my second year film kids, but still, uh, that group, you know, you have to ease them into like the older movies. So invasions a much more, you know, quick, snappy, lots of stuff happens really fast. Um, where 2001 takes a lot to, to really hang on to, especially I would have had to teach it, uh, virtually meaning like they're watching it on their own. And that was, that's a lot to ask. Um, so I, I think I chose wisely, uh, I will at some point want to try to teach it maybe to, if we ever get back in the, the full, like everyone's in the same room kind of thing. Um, mm. But we'll see how that goes. Nope. Yeah, I was just interested on that. I'd love to know what the, their thoughts and reactions are. Cause again, it's not a bad film whatsoever. The, the look at the, uh, look at the scope that this film has had the reach and the influence on, I obviously think immediately think to people like George Lucas, but just on sci-fi and on the genre itself, mm-hmm. it's often imitated, but, not many films have really ever come close to matching how this film looks. And this is from 1968 with a $10 million budget. It really, it, it's a story, you know, the story itself, it, it uses that music and that sound like you mentioned and how good it looks to tell its story because there isn't, like I say, an awful lot of dialogue. And it's a very bold move from Kubrick. And when people talk about how long this film is, it is a long film, two hours, 45 minutes, but I mean, you get films like the, I know they're completely chalk and cheese, so don't at me, but you get things like The Lord of the Rings, which are even longer than this. And you don't, I, I hear people say, oh, they're so long, but I don't really hear it as a criticism as much as I do of A Space Odyssey. Is my, obviously, talking to film fans, and even when I was doing film studies, when 2001 was mentioned, the big thing was 
it's long. It's too long. And then going back to rewatch it and realizing it's, I say only, but two hours, 44 minutes. I mean, there's, there's films released nowadays that are just as long. They might be a bit more bombastic and explosive, but they don't mean they're any better. So yeah. I don't think we can really bash the film for being and long. I'm I'm guilty of the, the saying that something is too long or whatever, but um, we're also in a generation where we will binge a 10 hour TV series in a weekend. So like yeah. that, that argument's basically just a way of, we can't quite put our finger on why we don't like this. So that's something that is, uh, it's, it's evidence, right? Like we can prove yeah. that it's long two hours, 45 minutes. Sure. It's long by comparison to most movies, but that's not really the reason um, we don't like it. Uh, it's, it might be a reason we don't watch it right now. Cause it's like, well, I can fit in an hour and a half, but I don't have two hours, you know? Yeah. Um, but even that's probably more of an excuse uh, for not doing it. Cause like I've never seen, I was just having this conversation with a friend group. Um, I've never seen the extended editions of Lord of the Rings and mm-hmm. I can't imagine trying to sit through them. Cause I'm just like, I, I don't want to rewatch them. Like, it's not that I don't think they're great. I think I thought they were great when I saw them. I really liked them. I liked the characters, but to me it, it feels like a chore because I know there's like a lot of just walking. It's, it's Aaron Sorkin fantasy and the <laughs> dialogue's not nearly as compelling. So, you know, um, but for some reason, again, too, though, like, I think I could go sit in a theater and probably watch Lord of the Rings again, but like putting it on in my house feels like I'm, I know I'm not going to pay attention for three hours. Like I just won't. Um, and I, I think that probably is true for 2001 as well. I don't know if I could casually throw this on and like really, really watch it. I'd have to either be showing it to somebody or seeing it in the theater. Um, to really like, I think engage with it on a big way. Yeah, man, I totally agree. And again, the theater experience will always win the day. I've only seen this film three times once as a, youngster who wanted to watch these films that I'd, I'd heard of uh, I um, throughout the years. One of them was this one. The second time was a few years ago when I wanted to actually decide if I liked the film because it, I'd been so far removed from it. And the third time was for this episode. It's not a film I will ever put on and be like, you know what? I really fancy watching a th- 2001. But again, it's not because it's a bad film. And I think a lot of people will probably say that, but it's not because it's a bad film, but it it demands your attention. That's the, and the only way you're going to get that is by sitting in a theatre and watching it and letting it wash over you. And at home, at home, it's it's it's, it's epic, but it's not it's not the same. So um, that's our top ten then for 1968. And I mentioned the critical response on on average. The top ten on RT, 91% was the average, and for Metacritic, 80 well 80.55, 81 Metacritic and 91 RT. I think critically, this is the strongest top ten we've ever had. On movie astrology, we've ne- I don't think we've ever had numbers that high. And for the top 10 to consistently be in the 90s for RT and the majority be in the 70s and 80s on Meta is, is unheard of for this show. And I think I think we both agree that for a top 10, it's pretty solid, actually. I don't think there's any film on there I don't like. Even Bullet, which I think we are the most critical of. It's not a bad film. It's just not the best. Yeah, no, uh, it, this is a really, really solid, strong top 10. Yeah, man, and it may be one of the where in years to come when we do an, uh, an astrology recap, this may be up there at least critically as the as the biggest or the best quote unquote top ten uh, we've ever had. So, um, well, let's talk about the other films that came out. They're the money makers. What about some of the other films that dropped in 1968? Notable releases. Yeah, so. We're going to talk about some of the other films that came out in 68. Uh, some, it may be a case if we haven't seen a lot of them, but we may have heard of them. Or in this case, we might have heard of the directors. 
But um, let's have a look at some of the other films that came out then. So, John, have you got any that caught your eye or that you've seen? So I, I've, this is the first, I think, uh, for a while at least. I think there might have been one other episode where I had like nothing on the list. Um, <laughs> I've, I've seen nothing on this. There are three movies that really stood out to me um, that I've been meaning to watch and just haven't got to. Uh, the, the first is Hang 'em High. Uh, it's a Western with Clint Eastwood yeah. directed by Ted Post. I actually was, it wasn't on my radar, but one of my students uh, during our Western study uh, really likes this movie and I wanted to try to get to it and I just didn't have the, the chance. Um, then uh, an iconic uh, Western that I, I really, I, my Western gaps are strong, but there are mm-hmm. so many. Uh, so I guess I have to just, I've seen some, I've missed some once upon a time in the West from Sergio Leone um, with Charles Bronson, Henry Ford. I've never seen that's such an iconic film. I've seen a lot of the scenes from it. Um, but yeah, I need to watch that one. And then lastly, um, I'm, I'm less familiar with the original as much as I am the remake, but the Thomas Crown Affair, a movie I, I know of, uh, the director's name is Norman Jewison, which, yep. um, Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway. Uh, I am, I know of it. I kind of have the general idea of the premise. I think Pierce Brosnan's in the remake, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I never saw, I just remember like seeing the trailer and like, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, really this, this, it seems like all of the great movies are in the 10. Um, cause most of these other films are not talked about very much. Um, I, I guess I'm familiar with Barbarella as well, but I've never seen it. <laughs> I'm familiar with the poster. Of Barbarella. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chitty, Chitty, Bang, Bang. Oh yeah. 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 Well. Sorry. I guess I did see that as a kid, but I don't, I never, that wasn't, I always like Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. Like no, I over... preferred Mary Poppins as well. Yeah. Yeah. The Thomas Crown affair. Um, yeah. That's got it's uh, Steve McQueen again in this, and Faye Dunaway sell this film and make it anything better, anything more than half decent. Without without them in this, it isn't very good. I wasn't a massive fan of the Pierce Brosnan um, remake either in the late nineties, and I'm not a massive fan of this one either. I've seen a few of the films on the list. There's two William Friedkin films I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is The Birthday Party, which is a solid and strange thriller based on. Uh, a play by Harold Pinter, uh, well worth a watch. And the other one was The Night They Raided Minsky's, which is a musical comedy that's a little bit more than just a musical musical comedy. It's got that kind of Friedkin stamp on it, which means it isn't quite as straightforward as it would seem by just pigeonholing it as that genre. So um, I've seen those two Billy Friedkin efforts. Um, I have seen Once Upon a Time in the West, and it's one of the best Westerns I've seen. But then again, I haven't seen too many recently watched the outlaw josie wales and oh i like I that dug, oh i dug that and it kind of made me think why haven't i like, like you've just said why is my like western knowledge or like list like so full of gaps because i, I, don't, I don't know why in my head i've always thought of westerns as just like blokes chewing tobacco in hats squinting a lot and then riding horses in a in like the wilderness and it's kind of like oh, yeah i can do without that but all of the westerns i've seen including the more recent ones we've spoken about Oh, great. And this one is as well. Sergio Leone and uh, Monacone team up again. It's just a really decent film. So mm-hmm. Westerns are the film that um, hopefully we get more of on astrology just so we can watch some more. Uh, I watched The Lion in Winter, which I'm sure we're going to talk about shortly. And I, well, I put myself through it. It's another longer film, but it's solid and a lot. It's well acted. It's a bit boring, a bit bland. Sorry. There's nothing wrong with the film. It's just a bit, a bit bland to look at, but it's well acted and, you know, the costume and the music and the score, sorry, is fine. And uh, the line in winter, it's okay. 
And the other one I wanted to mention was uh, Hour of the Wolf, which is a film I was really looking forward to watching because I hadn't seen it and I watched it uh, specifically for this. It's Ingmar Bergman, Max von Sydow and Liv Ullmann in this. And I really went into this hoping to be blown away. And you know what? I really did like this film. It's Hmm. um, it's a wonderful imagery and symbolism and it's uh, hauntingly beautiful is how I describe it. It is... It is a film that demands you watch it as well. And I know that is the same of all films, but you really have to watch it. You really have to be invested. It is a film that if you're not invested, I think it will be a case of checking the old Twitter or Instagram whilst watching it. You really have to be sucked in. But the way that Bergman uh, get uh, directs this is really well done. Max von Sydow is excellent in this. And um, yeah, I was pleasantly uh pleasantly surprised that it met my expectations because there's been a there was a what bullet we mentioned and funny girl uh, they were good one better than the other but they didn't hit the heights i wanted to do an hour of the wolf uh it's a tough watch but it's rewarding it's a beautiful film um so check it out guys and girls if you're if you want to watch more of the uh ingrid berman and maximum side out 60s hits um we also had what else did we have the boston strangler Came out, Tony Curtis, Henry Fonda, uh, The Green Berets, John Wayne, Jim Hutton, David Jansen. John um, Wayne directed that. It's meant to be that, one of his best films, apparently. Uh, one that caught my eye that I, I believe I heard um, Edgar Wright spoke about on the Kamel and Emily podcast uh, mm-hmm. earlier during the pandemic at the beginning of this year uh, um, called Head about the monkeys. Um, I love the monkeys growing up, and so I really want to see this movie. It's not easy to get a hold of right now. Um like you can only get it on disc and Mm -hmm. that I think is still like one of those limited prints. Um, but I always loved the monkeys as a kid. Uh, I didn't quite, I don't think I understood that it was like a parody when I was a kid. I just liked the music and I enjoyed the comedy of the show. Um, and so I'd love to see this movie. It's one that, uh, especially after hearing Edgar Wright, who I, if you, you know, I'm a big fan of, um, him recommending it. I'm like, yeah, I need to see this. So at some point I hope to watch it. Yep, so there's a JB recommendation. We always say about astrology is if we haven't seen the films, there's always at least one or two which we look at and think, do you know what? I really want to watch that. Well, that's something on my gap list and, it's, and it kind of uh, refreshes our minds to go and watch it. Um, if, a film with Malcolm McDowell, uh, directed by Lindsay Anderson, that was the Palm Door winner this year. How Sweet It Is came out. James Garner and Debbie Reynolds were in this film. Uh, mm. Wonderful Hollywood double act there and the heart is a lonely hunter with alan arkin i know you're a fan alan arkin and sandra Locke, and i've heard only good things about that film it's a drama i believe so that's one i want to go back and uh, i want to go and check out the heart is a lonely hunter and last one is where eagles dare richard burton clint eastwood probably the most i haven't seen it but it's already got like the most masculine double act in it so i can imagine what that's (laughs) like but um so yeah the notable releases are notable for john and myself maybe either not seeing enough of them or just not standing out i'm looking at one here called candy stars marlon brando richard burton james coburn and ringo Starr. whoa so, well and there's a, a de palma film that stars de niro so i mean there's, there's some big stuff there's a lot of going to be big names in a few years kind of stuff in this mm-hmm. in this list so miss francis ford coppola uh finian's rainbow with fred astaire and Pet- petula clock um john borman of the exorcist 2 fame <laughs> hell in the pacific lee marvin toshiro mifune so 
There are some big name directors who are dropping films here. Robert Altman as well uh, in this. Richard Fleischer. Uh, Ken Anakin. What a name. Well, and um, that Altman movie has James Caan and Duvall, Robert Duvall in it. So, I mean, that's, you know, another big, like, masculine duo, right? Yeah, man. So, uh, m- maybe there's some films to catch up on there. But uh, if any of you guys out there have seen these films we're mentioning, let us know uh, what, what you thought of them. If, if there's any you think, guys, you have to watch this. You have to watch these films. So let us know uh, about any of the films that are on our gap list. But yeah, that's the notable releases. Notable for we haven't seen a lot of them or even heard a lot of them. But the ones I've seen, I've liked. And I'm pretty sure JB would like, I'd like to see. I'd like to hear what JB thinks of The Hour of the Wolf. Uh, I'd I'd like to see it. I, I really I don't know if that one's in um, the Ingmar Ingmar Bergman box set from Criterion, but that's one I want to buy at some point. So if it's there, I'll, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on it, my friend. Um, but let's uh, let's suit up. Let's get our tuxedos on for our next segment. Award season. So here we look at the uh, the Oscars, the Academy Awards, and who uh, won the Best Picture, Director, etc. Um, normally, we would also then look at the Razzies, but uh, unfortunately, <sighs> this predates the Razzies by many sorry, years. John. So we'll have to just move on. So let's look at uh, our Best Picture winner for 1968 is Oliver. Nominees uh, <laughs> included Funny Girl, The Lion in Winter, Rachel, Rachel, and Romeo and Juliet. The Best Director was Carol Reed. What film was that for, John? Oliver! <laughs> for that film. Um, best Actor goes to Cliff Robertson for Charlie, which we didn't talk about. No. Uh, get this. Best Actress, Catherine Hepburn for The Lion of Winter and Barbara Streisand for really? Funny Girl. And this is the first and only tie for Best Actress or any wow. female acting category. There's just nothing that could separate these two. Uh, I would have actually given it to Barbara Streisand having seen both films. Catherine Hepburn is wonderful in The Lion in Winter, but there's something about Streisand's performance which works, which hit me more. Um, Best Supporting Actor is Jack Albertson for The Subject Was Roses. Best Supporting Actress, Ruth Gordon for Rosemary's Baby. Best Story and Screenplay Written Directly for the Screen, The Producers, Mel Brooks. Ah, yes. Which is weird because that we covered on another year. I think 67. Oh, uh, um, I believe it was. Yeah. So weird that it, it was in this Oscar list, but listed as another year. Yep. I think I checked into that and there was a reason why, but uh, it is legit. I promise. Uh, yeah, the yeah. Best screenplay based on material from another medium. So adapted the line in winter by James Goldman. Um, best original score for a motion picture, not a musical. That's weird that they needed to specify John Barry for the line in winter. Yeah, I, I do like going back in time for these because they have like, the most like oddly specific categories. Um, best score of a music picture, original or adaptation, went to Jolly, Johnny Green for Oliver. Wow. Best song original for the picture, The Windmills of Your Mind from the Thomas Crown Affair. Wow, that's out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, best cinematography, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, Pasqualino DeSantis was the director of photography on, on that film. So um, some... Uh, some of those films we've already spoken about there. Yeah. The, this year, we didn't have any Razzies, John, but we did get an honorary award this year. We did. Uh, the Gene Hirschlott Humanitarian Award was awarded to Martha Ray. Yep, so shout out to Martha Ray for being an Academy uh, Honorary Academy Award winner. And um, uh, Minus the Razzies, we always 
check out what the how the top ten did at the Oscars because as you've seen, we've just kind of covered the major categories, but we like to see how how decorated our top ten was. So let's dive in with two thousand and one, The Space Odyssey, our number one film. It did win, unsurprisingly, for best visual effects. Uh, it was nominated for best director, um, best story and screenplay written directly for the screen, and the best art direction. Not for best picture though, and that is mm-hmm. a crazy thing to think that about. That is strange. Um, Funny Girl uh, is not, uh, wins for Best Actress. Again, she had to share that award, which is kind of nonsense. I don't know if Hepburn had won previously, but I feel like she must have. Um, but uh, it was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Score of a Musical Picture, Original or Adaptation, and Best Song, Original for the Picture, Best Sound. Uh, but did only got the one award. An Oscar darling, but not on the night. The Love Bug, nothing. Uh, which not surprising family movie, um, the odd couple, uh, no wins, but it did get nomination for best screenplay based on material from another medium and best film editing. Uh, speaking of which Bullet won the Academy award for best film editing, probably for that car chase uh, and nominated yeah. for best sound. Romeo and Juliet, uh, wins for best cinematography, best costume design, um, which I guess uh, I feel like maybe another movie on this list deserved deserve best costume design, but uh, best picture and best director were nominations. Um, Oliver, John's favorite. This one, uh, a handful, as you just mentioned, best picture, best director, best art direction, best sound, best score of a musical picture. And it uh, won an honorary Academy Award as well. for Outstanding choreography uh, wow. for Honor White. So uh, later on, it won that. And it was nominated for best actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Screenplay Based on uh, Material for Another Medium, Best Cinematography, Best Costume Design, and Best Film Editing. That was, Oliver had a lot going on that night. Um, he was, he he wanted some more Oscars. Um, <laughs> well done. Uh, yeah, you know, it happens. Uh, Rosemary's Baby gets, uh, again, horror movies often slighted anyways, but uh, Best Supporting Actress, and it wins, and then nominated for Best Screenplay Based on Material from Another Medium. Um, no love for anything else, but you know, it's a, it's a horror movie. So getting nominations is a, is a big step in the right direction. It's an Oscar winning one as well. Planet of the Apes. It didn't win on the night, but it did later win an honorary Academy award for, for John Chambers for his outstanding makeup achievement. Well, uh, and it was deserved. on the night it was nominated for costume design. As you mentioned, best original score for most picture. That wasn't a musical. It it should have won costumes. No offense to Roman Julia. There is a lot of costumes in that movie for sure, yeah. but still like, you know, old school, like, knights and stuff versus, like, monkeys that did not exist. They had to create, I mean, okay, monkeys existed, but you know what I'm saying? Like, the humanoid <laughs> monkeys did not exist uh, in the orangutans and, and such. So, uh, they had to come up with all that. And, of course, the biggest slight of the night was not the love bug, but Night of the Living Dead gets no nominations and uh, apparently no honorary awards at any point, which is ridiculous. Hopefully, Romero will get, like, an honorary award now that he's passed, um, like, mm-hmm. a postmortem type award because man that movie changed the landscape in such a big way um it, it deserves some recognition dear man well romeo and juliet period pieces usually do quite well in the costume bizarre they do. stakes i mean I, I get why but like you say that what they did with planet of the apes was something else and night of the living dead it didn't get anything on the night like you mentioned but the restoration was funded by george lucas so there's something he put money in to get it restored uh like the sound obviously um for the later releases. So he got some love from uh, the big man himself, George Lucas. So um, so before we move on then, the the 
actual Oscar wins for the films you've seen, like the best for best picture, best director, and that, are you, you know, can you see why Oliver won, or would you have seen someone else picking up that gong? Um, I think I enjoyed Funny Girl a little more myself, mm-hmm. uh, but I totally see why Oliver won. I mean, you got to give credit to the kids in that movie, right? Because like, yeah, we we know child actors can make or break a film, and I would say the kids in Oliver are pretty stupendous overall. So well deserved, I guess. Um, no, I don't have any major issues this year, except for the I I do. I again, I'm not disputing Romeo and Juliet had great costumes. I'm just saying Planet of the Apes maybe deserved. Again, to me, the fact that they got the honorary award later is like, oops, here yeah. you go. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, 2001 not nominated for best picture, regardless a- of what I think about it. But like the actual achievement in filmmaking, you would have like, if if this if 1968 had 10 slots like we have now. It's a given that's in there. A hundred percent. Yeah. And really the, the whole top 10 could, I mean, I wouldn't expect Planet of the Apes to get nominated for best picture or Night of Living Dead um, or even Rosemary's Baby. Cause not only is Rosemary's Baby a horror movie, but it's also like a really tough subject matter mm-hmm. horror movie. Um, so I could see why they would not put it like up in that echelon. But at the same time, they all did really well. All critically acclaimed movies in that top 10 with the exception again, love bugs, not trying for an award, right? Like that's, that's <laughs> summer schlock and that's all it is. So, it's it's not typical Oscar bait, is no. it? But, uh, yeah, I, no, no real qualms there. As I mentioned, I watched most of these films, and yeah, I can I can see why they were all nominated. So, uh, not going to lie, Oliver probably deserved his win. If if two thousand and one's not going to be nominated, give it to Oliver. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I can't throw my coffee in the air at any of these awards, which is at once one hand good, yeah. on the other hand frustrating because we can't have a good old debate about it, but. Uh, so that was the awards for 1968. Pretty cut and dry there. Now let's uh, let's find out uh, more about the births and deaths of this year. Births and deaths. Yep. So we always look into the talent that came into the world in 1968. Sadly, also uh, who left us? Those who have left a legacy in film. Uh, who passed away in the year we're talking about. So 1968. Uh, let's kick us off, John. Who was the first person on our on our honorary list who was born this year? Well, January 2nd, Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, actor slash rapper? Hold on. I did not know that. Yeah, um, man. Uh, Boys in the Hood, uh, most notable films, Boys in the Hood, A Few Good Men, Outbreak, Jerry Maguire, Show Him the Money, and What Dreams May Come, and Men of Honor, Robert De Niro's uh, scuba diving movie, I guess. Uh, you could call it that, yep. Uh, January the 6th, John Singleton, director, writer, best known for Boys in the Hood as well. Too Fast, Too Furious, the 2000 version of Shaft, Four Brothers, Poetic Justice and Higher Learning. It's crazy. They were born four days apart and then their careers would skyrocket because of their collaboration. Yeah. Um, January 14th, we get LL Cool J, uh, actor, rapper, not surprised about that detail, uh, in Too Deep, SWAT, Any Given Sunday, Edison, that I'm not familiar with. Halloween H2O oh, and Deep Blue Sea. I feel like he's in a better movie somewhere on that list than he's getting listed for. But yeah, LL, Rocket. Uh, I'm not sure he is, but uh, February the 1st, Paulie Shaw, actor, best known for John's favorite, Encino Man, Son-in-Law and Biodome. I will defend Biodome. It is trash, but it's fun trash. <laughs> um, I like Paulie Shaw's stupid movies. I also like In the Army Now. Uh, I don't like Jury Duty or whatever that one was called. That one's not very good, but I like I like those. Uh, they're they're entertaining. Still love the Man though. Yep. Uh, February twelfth, uh, Thanos. I mean, Josh Brolin uh, is born. 
uh, actor The Goonies, Mimic, Hollow Man, Grindhouse, No Country for Old Men, American Gangster, W, Milk, True Grit, Men in Black 3, Inherent Vice, Sicario, uh, and Sicario 2, Dave Soldado, C- uh, Hail Caesar, I almost just said Caesar, um, oh, sorry, Hail Caesar, Deadpool yeah. 2, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, and he shows up in a few other of the Marvel movies uh, briefly. Um, yeah, man's awesome. Big fan of Berlin. Oh, and we forgot Spike Lee's adaptation of Old Boy. Um, not yes. Yeah, well, yeah, that was forgotten for a reason. But yeah. Josh, Josh Berlin, we don't usually have that many films on a list, but it was just a highlight how many awesome films he's been in. So mm-hmm. Josh Berlin, often overlooked for me. Uh, February the 18th, Molly Ringwald. Uh, actress, of course, best known for 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink on the Stand, and TV's Riverdale. And she's a, a quite a good writer. Uh, she she wrote an essay a few years ago about The Breakfast Club and her time with um, John yes. Hughes. It's really worth reading. Um, March March 2nd, uh, something just fell off my shelf. Um, March 2nd, sorry. Uh, Daniel Craig, James Bond 007, is born... Uh, uh, most known for Laura Croft to really um, yep. road to perdition, which I still haven't seen layer cake. I love Munich, the golden compass, Western Cowboys, wait, I'm, Western Cowboys and aliens. Is that what it's called? The word Western. Okay. Uh, I was like, what the girl in the dragon tattoo, which I love uh, David Fincher movie, Logan lucky uh, knives out and the James Bond series. The, in my opinion, the best of the Bond movies. Uh, I think a lot of people would agree with you there. March the 12th, Aaron Eckhart was born best known for, uh, Possession, The Core, Aaron Brockovich, Thank You for Smoking, The Dark Knight, The Pledge, Battle Los Angeles, Olympus Has Fallen, uh, London Has Fallen, I, Frankenstein, Sully and Midway, and also having a, like a disappointingly depressing career for a man who's got a lot of talent. Yep. Um, April 8th, Patricia Arquette, one of the Arquette trio, um, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, True Romance, Ed Wood, Stigmata, Toy Story 4, and Boyhood, which I love. Yep. April the 14th, Anthony Michael Hall, actor, best known for The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Edward Scissorhands, Six Degrees of Separation, and TV's The Dead Zone. Um, April 19th, Ashley Judd, uh, Ruby in Paradise, Heat, Norma Jean and Marilyn, um, A Time to Kill, Kiss the Girls, Double Jeopardy, Bug, Olympus Has Fallen, wow, that movie mm-hmm. showed up twice, um, Divergent, and Barry. Yeah, she's very good in Bug. May the 20th, Timothy Oliphants, uh, best known as, uh, for being in Scream 2, Go, A Man Apart, The Girl Next Door, of course, TV's Deadwood and Deadwood the Movie, Catch and Release, Hitman, The Crazies, Live Free or Die Hard, and now as a as a heartbreaker on The Mandalorian. Is is he also in Justified or is that the other guy? Uh, that's the other guy, I think. Oh, oh no, oops. is he? No, I, th- no, I, oh, I think, I think he is. Okay. Interesting. I didn't realize he was in Deadwood. Uh, I need to watch Deadwood and Justified now. Um, June 20th, Robert Rodriguez, a person I'm a big fan of for multiple mm-hmm. reasons. Um, he's the director, most known for his debut film in Breaking uh, Sundance, El Mariachi. Desperado would follow From Dust Till Dawn, Sin City, Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, Spy Kids, mm-hmm. Saga, with a new one up and coming. Uh, no, I'm sorry, not Spy Kids. That's the other thing. The Faculty, The Adventures of Sharkboy and Lava Girl has a new one coming. Pla- Planetara, Machete, and the second Machete. And a movie that I feel was underrated, Alita Battle Angel. I adore that film. Yeah, I dug that as well. And Spy Kids and Sharkboy and Lava Girl got me confused. So I was like, they're brother and sister. Then I realised it's the wrong film. That, that was getting a re, uh, a new film. 
Um, and he's also directing The Mandalorian. I think it might be the next episode of that Ooh. we are from the date we're recording. But uh, July the 8th, Billy Crudup, actor best known for Without Limits, Princess Mononoke, which I really need to watch, Almost so Famous, good. Big Fish, Mission Impossible 3, Watchmen, Spotlight, Jackie, The Stanford Prison Experiment, Justice League, <laughs> and Alien Covenant. And Jesus' son, which I saw, and he was sitting two seats away from me when I saw that movie. Um, and July 30th, the man, Terry Crews, uh, future president, um, White Chicks, The Expendable Series, uh, Deadpool 2, Sorry to Bother You, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and, uh, oh, I'm going to forget the name of the movie, that, uh, Idiocracy, that was it, could not pull it. I'd become a U.S. citizen just to vote him in as president, um, just to see the president flex his abs like that. August the 9th, Gillian Anderson, obviously best known uh, for playing Scully on the X-Files uh, and in the X-Files films as well, um, Fight the Future and I Want to Believe. Uh, she's also in The Last King of Scotland, Johnny English Reborn, The Spy Who Dumped Me, which I liked, and TV's Hannibal. And apparently now she's Margaret Thatcher on The Crown. Oh, yes, she is uh, in that, yes. Um, August 9th, uh, again, Eric Bana is born uh, right alongside Gillian Anderson. They were holding hands. Black Hawk mm-hmm. Down. Hulk, Troy, Munich, The Other Bolin Girl, Star Trek, The Time Traveler's Wife, Deliver Us from Evil, and uh, Funny People, which I like a lot more than most people. Yeah, oh, yes. Um, August 28th, Billy Boyd was born. He's most known for the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, but he was also Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World, which is great, and Seed of Chucky. September 10th, we get Guy Ritchie, who will then break into the, the movie industry as a director, a screenwriter, with Lockstock, Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, Swept Away, Revolver, Rock and Roller, Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows, The Man from Uncle, Underrated Movie, King mm-hmm. Arthur, Legend of the Sword, Trash Movie, and Aladdin. Oh, and we can't forget about this year's, this freaking year's The Gentleman, I think, right? It was it was 2020, right? It wasn't, I don't it remember wasn't, anymore. It was either right at the end of 2019 or it was the beginning of this year, but one of the last movies I got to see in the theater. Sad for uh, If I mean, I don't, I don't remember it being this year. Me and John have done a few collabs this year, as we always do, but some of them feel like they were about six years ago. In fact, they're only March. Uh, the Gentleman was 2019, I'm being uh, told by my yep. computer. But September 25th, Will Smith was born. He's best known for Enemy of the State, Wild Wild West, Independence Day, The Men in Black Films, Ali, I, Robot, The Pursuit of Happiness, Hancock, I Am Legend, Seven Pounds, Suicide Squad, <sighs> Bright, Collateral Beauty, Aladdin, Gemini Man, Bad Boys uh, series, and of course, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and his rapping career. Right. Um, Men in Black is an awesome song too. Uh, September 26th, Jim Caviezel, uh, actor, The Passion of the Christ, The Thin Red Line, Frequency, The Count of Monte Cristo, and person of interest, and maybe the upcoming sequel to Passion of the Christ. Uh, who knows? That's it. The Bible strikes back. September the 28th, Naomi Watts. No, she's best known for the uh, great Mulholland Drive. Uh, the very good The Ring as well. 21 Grams, I Heart Huckabees, King Kong, Eastern Promises, The International, The Impossible, Birdman, St. Vincent, The Glass Castle, and Loose. I, I just watched The Impossible the other night. Um, October 12th, our boy Hugh Jackman is born. He will become Wolverine, and that's all we have to talk. No, uh, also Van Helsing, The Prestige. I love that movie. The Fountain. Mm-hmm. I also love that movie. Australia. I haven't seen yet. Less. Le, oh, oops, sorry. Les Miserables. Uh, Prisoners. I still need to watch. Chappie. I will not watch. The Greatest Showman. X Men series and uh, the Wolverine series, which are of course closely tied together through the same character. Yeah. Oh man, this year, good. dude. There's so many good actors born this year. 
Dude, just reading out these films is quality. And obviously Hugh Jackman did Bad Education. I think it was this year as well. And yep. That's so good as well. So that should good. be Best Picture, but it won't be. Um, it's November the 5th. Sam Rockwell was born. He's best known for Lawn Dogs, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, The Very Good Moon, Seven Psychopaths, Richard Jewell, The Green Mile, which you need to watch, Galaxy mm. Quest, Iron Man 2, Conviction, Cowboys and Aliens, Vice, Jojo Rabbit, and his Oscar-winning turn in three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, wow. November 18th, Owen Wilson uh, is born, most known for working with Wes Anderson, but the Royal Tenenbaums, Behind Enemy Lions, I Spy, Marley and Me, Midnight in Paris, Zoolander, Starsky and Hutch, <gasps> Wedding Crashers, You, Me, and Dupree, Drillbit, Taylor, <laughs> Midnight in Paris, Cars, of the Cars series being the most important probably for his career, uh, Fantastic mm-hmm. Mr. Fox, and Marmaduke. That Marmaduke movie. Marmaduke. There's a lot of films in some of these lists because John always tells me off for missing films off. So there's Owen Wilson's entire filmography, so I can't be told <laughs> off. Um, December the 2nd, uh, Lucy Liu. Uh, she's known for uh, TV's Alec McBeal, the Charlie's Angels series, the original one, well, the early noughties, Kung Fu Panda series, the Tinkerbell series, of course, TV's Elementary, Payback, Shanghai Noon, Chicago, Kill Bill Volume 1, The Lucky Number 11, and The Man with the Iron Fists. And lastly, oh, this is so cool. December 3rd, Brendan Fraser, <laughs> The Mummy Trilogy, which I like the first two. The third one's awful. Encino Man, love it. George of the Jungle, not so much. Bedazzled, mm. Looney Tunes, back in action, I never saw. Journey to the Center of the Earth, School Ties, Gods and Monsters, and Crash. I'm not sure which Crash. Is it the bad uh, Crash? I, th- I, th- I, think, I think it's a different Crash. Okay, that's probably the I had the to Google one. that when I was doing this, but uh, what a way to end with Brendan Fraser. Um what a list! I know we all, I know it's obvious to say because they're on the list, but what a lineup of talent, man! We've got Oscar winners of Sam Rockwell, Patricia Arquette won for Boyhood, Cuba Gooding Jr. won for Jerry Maguire. So we've got a few Oscar winners on there. Uh, big name directors, obviously Guy Ritchie's on there. What a uh, and uh, Robert Rodriguez. What a list, hey man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a that's a huge list. Which one of the reasons I like doing these older episodes is a lot of times we won't know the movies, but boy, do we know the people who were born that year. Yes. Um, and we sure do. Uh, I've seen a lot of the movies we just read off. Yep. And uh, they're, they're the people who came into the world. And as we always do on a movie astrology, we like to uh, tip our cap to those who left us. And uh, starting off with you, John, then. March 30th, Bobby Driscoll, uh, age 31, an actor most known for Peter Pan and Treasure Island. It's no age, is it? April the 24th, Tommy Noonan, age 46. Actor best known for his roles in A Star Is Born and Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. And May 5th, Albert Decker, uh, age 65, The Wild Bunch, Kiss Me Deadly and Dr. Cyclops. Three uh, actors there who weren't very old when they when they passed, but some big films again on that list and some big performances. So um, we always like to end that off with, again, like I say, a little tip of the hat to those departed. So... Uh, uh, so yeah, tip of the hat to them and a wonderful list of those who were born in mm-hmm. 1968. But we also like to have a look at those who took their first steps into the world of film. So let's do it. Debuts. So here we look at uh, the actors and actresses who made their big screen breakthroughs, the things that we now love and cherish them for. Matt, uh, who's our first actor? Our first one, Gary Busey. His, uh, he debuted in Wild in the Streets 
Uh, he's best known for The Buddy Holly Story, Lethal Weapon, Predator 2, Point Break, Under Siege, The Firm, and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And just, you know, being Gary Busey. Um, being Gary Busey. Uh, John Cleese debuts in Interlude, um, but he's most known for the Monty Python troupe, A Fish Called Wanda, Time Bandits, Rat Race, Shrek series, Harry Potter series, the uh, Mary Shelley Frankenstein, and Faulty Towers on TV. Yeah, classic British comedy. Uh, Timothy Dalton, he debuted in The Lion in Winter, and he's most known for obviously being James Bond, The Living Daylights, License to Kill. Uh, he was in Jane Eyre. He was the, the villainous uh, dude in Hot Fuzz. And TV's Penny Dreadful. Uh, Goldie Hawn uh, debuts in the one and only genuine original family band. So is those three different it's movies? One film. Oh, that's one movie. Yep. Wow. So it's the one and only genuine original family band is how I should have said it. Apologies. Yeah, it sounds very uh, wow. Um, but she's also known for There's a Girl in My Soup, The Sugarland Express, Shampoo, Foul Play, Seems Like Old Times, Private Benjamin, Overboard, Bird on a Wire, Death Becomes Her, The First Wives Club, and debuting on uh, this week on Netflix, The Christmas Chronicle 2. Um, and we'll be reviewing that on BAMP. Yep. You So by the time that you hear this, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to it, because she's also in the first one again with her, her hubby, yeah. Kurt Russell. Um, Barbara Hershey debuted this year in With, with Six You Get Egg Roll. Oh boy. With six, you get egg roll. Um, she went on to star in films of better titles like The Last Temptation of Christ, Portrait of a Lady, Shy People, A World Apart, Beaches, Black Swan, Hannah and Her Sisters, uh, The Entity, probably most famous, and in, and the Insidious series. Uh, Stacy Keach debuts in The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, but most famous for uh, The Ninth Configuration, Fat City, American History X, W. Up in Smoke, Prison Break, the TV series, and Murder Me, Murder You TV series. Yep. Uh, and he was Father Karras until William Freakin saw Jason Miller and decided not to, ah. decided to give Stacey Keach the call. So he was almost in The Exorcist as well. Um, Margot Kidder uh, was born this, uh, sorry, debuted this year in The Best Damn Fiddler from Calabogie to Caladar. Why is it with these names? Yeah, uh, the Best wow. Damn Fiddler from Calabogie to Caladar. Uh, she went on to appear in Sisters, Black Christmas, The Great Waldo Pepper, The Amityville Horror, and of course, as Lois Lane in the Superman franchise. Sandra Locke uh, pre- debuts in The Heart is a Lonely Hunter as well, but will be most known for Willard, The Outlaw, Josie Wales, which you just watched, The Gauntlet, yeah. Every Which Way But Loose, Bronco Billy, Any Which Way You Can, and Sudden Impact, which I think is a uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Ah, JCVD. Uh, Marsha Mason debuted in Beyond the Law. Uh, and she went to appear in Cinderella Liberty, The Goodbye Girl, Chapter 2, Only When I Laugh, Drop Dead Fred, uh, and TV's The Middle, and Grace and Frankie. Um, Ally McGraw, A Lovely Way to Die is where she debuts, and uh, most known for Goodbye Columbus, sorry, Goodbye Columbus, one thing, Love Story, The get- the Getaway, Convoy, Players, Just Tell Me What You Want to Know. What You Want, there's no no there, I apologize. I'm adding words and, and apparently commas. Uh, oof. You're boosting Ali McGraw's filmography. We spoke about it in the other episode on Love Story. Um, so mm. nice to see her drop, dropping in again to astrology. Thank you, Miss McGraw. Uh, Malcolm McDowell uh, debuted in If, and of course he went on to appear in A Clockwork Orange, Caligula, Time After Time, Cat People, uh, 2007's Halloween and 2009's Halloween 2, and also hilariously in Silent Hill Revelation. Ah, 
uh, Chuck Norris debuts in the Wrecking Crew, uh, most known for Breaker Breaker, Good Guys Wear Black, A Force of One, The Octagon, An Eye for an Eye, Silent Rage, Force Vengeance, Lone Wolf McQuaid, The Delta Force Series, Walker, Texas Ranger TV show, uh, Chuck Norris Gags, and a movie I loved as a kid, I think Sidekicks with Jonathan Brandis, um, where he, the kid was like daydreaming. It's kind of like a Karate Kid type story, but Chuck Norris shows up in it, and it's uh, it's fun. It's not great, but it's fun. Every <laughs> every single one of those titles just like just sweats testosterone. The Wrecking yeah. Crew, The Octagon, Silent Rage, Forced Vengeance, An Eye for an Eye. <laughs> that um, he knew his audience and he he played to it. Um, he's also yeah. in uh, Return of the Dragon with Bruce Levo. That's worth noting. I was going to say Return of the Jedi. He didn't kick Palpatine over the edge. But, oh, and those no. Chuck Norris gags have fed me for years and years. Um, mm-hmm. Talia Shire debuted in the Wild Racers. And she's best known for the Godfather series and, of course, the Rocky series. Yep. Uh, Barbara Streisand debuts in Funny Girl and what a debut. Um, but then, uh, and I guess winning the Oscar, maybe that's yeah. why they gave it to Hepburn, too, because of the debut element. But uh, The Prince of Tides, Hello, Dolly, The Way We Were, Nuts, um, A Star is Born, Yentl, Meet the Fockers, and Little Fockers, and other things. Yeah, a two-time Academy Award winner. Uh, and finally, Jack Thompson debuted in personnel or people question mark and uh, he went on to appear in the club sunday too far away the man from snowy river breaker morant australia attack of the clones the great gatsby and the light between oceans uh, he's known as Ooh. one of australia's uh, favorite actors i really like the light Thompson. between oceans the light between yeah. oceans underseen movie there is a good d- decent film and um yeah he was uh lars Klieg in attack of the clones um hmm. For the Star Wars fans out there. So, again, let's have a look. Debuts, pretty decent list of uh, talent there, dude. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, uh, looking at looking at that one, I'm glad to see John Cleese mentioned a good old British, uh, a staple of British comedy. And obviously, mm-hmm. the Monty Python troupe there. Ali McGraw, you only mentioned the other week um, on Love Story, John's favourite film, Goldie Horn, yeah. just because Goldie Horn and Kurt Russell are life. Uh, and Stacey Keach for that pretty cool. A uh, bit of Father Karras trivia, but um, so there's there's like the trivial bits done, you know, top ten awards, you know, great, wonderful. But this is what you all tune in for. This is what I you know get up in the morning for. Here we go, guys. Are you ready? Here we go. <clears throat> the horoscope. Nineteen sixty eight is the year of the monolith. You have always felt comfortable with technology and advancing into the future, but beware, the tech is not your friend. You may find yourself stranded in a familiar place that is vastly different than you once remembered it. Friends you have had for years will suddenly seem overbearing as you try to help them through tough times. Be mindful of what you request as sometimes wanting more leads to a world of sorrow instead of the bright lights you had once dreamed. Devils and ghouls swarm you, metaphorically of course but the car of optimism will help you escape. And in the end, things will turn out all right. Yeah! <laughs> yes! Nice one. All on the mic once again. John's been waiting for this so he could... Uh, I know you've been, he's been texting me quite a lot saying, can we record now? Because I just want to get the book and go back to the world. And I'm saying, dude, it's 4am over here. Come on. And this was like weeks ago. So, mm-hmm. man, well done again. Thank you, sir. It takes a lot to channel uh, that kind of information from the stars. Hope use it well, listener. Use it well. 
Yes, please do. Please tap into this cosmic power that JB manages to elicit every few weeks on astrology. Wonderful job again, mate. And that makes our 1968 episode complete now. Uh, So, as we do, let's look back at it quickly. 1968, we've seen the top 10, the notable releases, the award winners. What are you thinking then in terms of the year? Because critically, it could be the best year we've ever done. But what what are you thinking about it? I would say uh, the top 10, I think it's outstanding. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like there's a lot of other movies that really stand out as memorable outside of that 10, though, which is kind of crazy. I don't know if we've encountered anything like that, where the 10 is so strong that it overshadows the rest of the list. I I don't think we've had. We've had had other years, obviously, where we've had a couple of massive films on, whether culturally or just the amount of money they've made, but... I don't think we've ever had a list that's as consistently good. I don't think we've ever had a list where neither of us have actually looked at a film and said, you know, what, I actually quite, I don't really like that film or I don't see why that's on the list for, to be honest. And even the films we were, uh, you know, a little less uh, uh, keen on, like Bullet, I mentioned that, and maybe Love Bug, I guess, but um, there's nothing on there we didn't dislike. And I think that might be the first. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think this is a very good year. And the notable releases that I'd seen, I I either really enjoy or at least liked. So of of the films I've seen from this year, I don't really think there's any which I thought were absolutely awful. Mm. So, um, a hell of a job, 1968. Uh, so that is that then for our 1968 episode of Movie Astrology. We hope you all enjoyed it. If you have any thoughts on some of the films we've spoken about or our opinions on the films, uh, please do drop us a line. We'll give that social uh, shortly. Firstly, John... I want to thank you for coming on doing this once again. Anytime. It's a great, a great bit of fun for me to look at the year in film like we do. Uh, checks in some of that, fills in some of that gap, those movie gaps as well. Uh, if the world's just heard you and thought this guy sounds great. And if you haven't listen back and you will do, where can the world find you and hear you online? They can find me at burkreviews.com and on all the social media platforms at Burke Reviews. You could find me what I watch tonight.co.uk, uh, what I watch tonight across all of the social platforms as well. And you could find the show it's at movie astrology on Instagram and on Twitter at movie underscore astrology. Uh, we'll pop up. Uh, we pop up got facts about the years we're talking about. And we ask for your opinions on the films and on the upcoming episodes as well. So go follow us on there and let us know what you thought about this episode and all of the other ones we've done as well. And if you have a spare 30 seconds and you do enjoy what we've done please do uh, leave us a good review on your podcast provider of choice because it helps the show grow it gets more people into this wicked little show we do and we are film fans and we enjoy conversing with film fans so if you could do that we would be in your debt forever so thank you very much for listening please do tune in for the next episode from me it's see ya and from john keep watching movies